Hello. This is the part two of episode three. Please forgive if I am rereading some of what I've already done. And I'm starting over from the beginning of the paragraph. The Surf Nebun looked to the figurine and then back to Drizzt. Curiously and cautiously, he handed the figurine to one of his companions and sent him out of the room with it, not trusting the drow. If the drow had spoken truly and the deep gnome did not doubt that he had, Driz had just given away the secret to a very valuable magic item. Even more startling, if Drizzt had spoken truly, he might have relinquished his single chance of escape. This Swerf Nebelin had lived for nearly two centuries and was knowledgeable in the ways of the Dark Elves as any of his people. When a drow elf acted unpredictably, as this one surely had, it troubled the Swerf Nebelin deeply. Dark elves were cruel and well, and evil, and well-earned reputation, and when an individual drow fit that unusual pattern, he could be dealt with efficiently and without remorse. But what might the deep gnomes do with a drow who showed a measure of unexpected morals? The swift nebly went back to their private conversation, ignoring Drizzt altogether. Then they left, with the exception of the one who could speak the dark elf tongue. What will you do? Drizzt dared to ask. Judgment is reserved for the king alone, the deep gnome replied soberly. He will rule on your fate in several days, perhaps, based on the observations of his advising council. The group you have met. The deep gnome bowed low, then looked drizzed in the eye as he rose and said bluntly, I suspect, Dark Elf, that you will be executed. Drizzt nodded, resigned to the logic that would call for his death. But I believe you are different, Dark Elf. The deep gnome went on. I suspect as well that I will recommend leniency, or at least mercy, in the execution. With a quick shrug of his heavy-set shoulders, the Swerf Nebelin turned about and headed for the door. The tone of the deep gnome's words struck a familiar chord in Drizzt. Another Swerf Nebelin had spoken to Drizzt in a similar manner, with strikingly similar words many years before. Wait! Drizzt called. The Swerf Nebelin paused and turned, and Drizzt fumbled with his thoughts, trying to remember the name of the deep gnome that it, he had saved on that past occasion. What is it? The swift Nebelin asked, growing impatient. A deep gnome, Driz sputtered. From your city, I, I, I believe. Yes, he had to be. Do you know one of my people, dark elf? The swift Nebelin prompted, stepping back to the stone chair. Name him. I do not know, Driz replied. I was a member of a hunting party years ago, a, a decade perhaps. We battled a group of Swift Nebly that had come into our region. He flinched at the deep gnome's frown, but continued on, knowing that the single Swift Nebelin survivor of that encounter might be his only hope. Only one deep gnome survived, I, I think, in return to Blinkenstone. What was this survivor's name? The Swift Nebelin demanded. Angrily, his arms crossed tightly over his chest and his heavy boot tapping on the stone floor. I, I don't remember, Drizzt admitted. Why do you tell me this? The swift Nebelin growled. I had thought you different from... He lost his hands in the battle, Drizzt went on stubbornly. Please, you must know of him. Belvoir? The swift Nebelin replied immediately. The name rekindled even more memories in Drizzt. Belvoir? Disengulp, Driz spouted. 
then he is alive. He might remember... He will never forget that evil deed, Dark Elf. The smith never declared through clenched teeth an angry edge evident in his voice. None in Blingdenstone will ever forget that evil day. Get him. Get Bella Disengulp, Triss pleaded. The deep gnome backed out of the room, shaking his head as the dark elves continued surprises. The stone door slammed shut, leaving Drizzt alone to contemplate his morality and to push aside hopes he dared not hope. Do you think he that I would let you go away from me? Malice was saying to Risen when Dinan entered the chapel's anteroom. It was but a ploy to keep Senefeho not suspicions at ease. Thank you, Mother, Matron Mother, Risen replied in honest relief. Bowing with every step, he backed away from Malice's throne. Malice looked around at her gathered family. Our ten days of toil are ended, she proclaimed. Zinkala is complete. Dinan wrung his hands in anticipation. Only the females of the family had seen the product of their work. On cue from Malice, Verna moved to a curtain on the side of the room and pulled it away. There stood Zachnathian, the weapon master, no longer a rotting corpse, but showing the vitality he had possessed in life. Dinan rocked back on his heels as the weapon master came forward to stand before Matron Malice. As handsome as you always were, my dear Zachnathian, Malice purred to the spirit wraith. The undead thing made no response. And more obedient, Brisa added, drawing chuckles from all the females. This, he will go after Trist? Didn't dare to ask, though he fully understood that it was not his place to speak. Malice and the others were too absorbed by the spectacle of Zachnapping to punish the elder boy's oversight. Zachnapping will exact the punishment that your brother so deeply deserves, Malice promised, her eyes sparkling at the notion. But wait, Malice said coyly, looking from the spirit wraith to Risen. He is too pretty to inspire fear in my impudent son. The others exchanged confused glances, wondering if Malice was further trying to placate Risen for the ordeal she had put him through. Come, my husband, Malice said to Risen. Take your blade and mark your dead rival's face. It will feel good to you, and it will inspire terror and drizzed when he looks upon his old mentor. Risen moved tentatively at first, then gained confidence as he closed on the spirit wraith. Zachnathian stood perfectly still, not breathing or blinking, seemingly oblivious to the events around him. Risen put a hand to his sword, looking back to Malice one final time for confirmation. Malice nodded. With a snarl, Risen brought his sword out of its sheath and thrust it at Zagnafian's face, but it never got close. Quicker than the others could follow, the spirit wraith exploded into motion. Two swords came out and cut away, diving and crossing with perfect precision. The sword went flying from Risen's hand, and before the doomed patron of House Dorwarden could even speak a word of protest, one of Zagnafian's swords crossed over his throat, and the other plunged deep into his heart. Risen was dead before he hit the floor, but the spirit wraith was not so quickly and cleanly finished with him. 
Zagnafian's weapons continued their assault, hacking and slicing into Risen a dozen times until Malice, satisfied with the display, called him off. That one bores me, Malice explained to the disbelieving stares of her children. I have another patron already selected from among the commoners. It was not, however, Risen's death that inspired the awestruck expressions of Malice's children. They cared nothing for any of the mates that their mother chose to patron of the house. Always a temporary position. It was the speed and skill of the spirit wraith that had stolen their breath. As good as a life, Dinan remarked. Better, Malice replied. Zaknafin is all he was as a warrior, and now the fighting skill holds his every thought. He will reveal no distractions from his chosen course. Look upon him, my children. Zinkala, the gift of love. She turned to Dinan and smiled wickedly. I will not approach that thing, Dinan gasped, thinking his macabre mother might desire a second display. Malice laughed at him. Fear not, elder boy. I have no cause to harm you. Dinan hardly relaxed at her words. Malice needed no cause. The hacked body of Risen showed that fact all too clearly. You will lead this bird wraith out, Malice said. Out, Dinan replied tentatively. Into the region where you encountered your brother, Malice explained. I am to stay beside the thing, Dinan gasped. Lead him out and leave him, Malice replied. Zagnathian knows his prey. He has been imbued with spells to aid him in his hunt. Off to the side, Brisa seemed concerned. What is it? Malice demanded of her, seeing her frown. I do not question the spirit wraith's power, or the magic that you have placed upon it, Brisa began tentatively, knowing that Malice would accept no discord regarding this all-important matter. You still fear your youngest brother? Malice asked her. Brisa didn't know how to answer. Ellie, your fears as valid as you may think them, Malice said calmly. All of you, Zaknafian is the gift of our queen. Nothing in all the Underdark will stop him. She looked at the undead monster. You will not fail me, will you, my weapon master? Zaknafian stood impassive bloodied swords back on their scabbards, hands at his sides and eyes unblinking. A statue, he seemed, not breathing, unalive. But any who thought Zagnafian inanimate needed only to look at the spirit wraith's feet, to the mutilated lump of gore that had been the patron of House Dorden. Part 2 Friendship The word has come to mean many different things among the various races and cultures of both the Underdark and the surface of the realms. In Nuns of Baranzen, friendship is generally born out of mutual profit. While both parties are better off for the union, it remains secure. But loyalty is not a tenet of the drow life. 
and as soon as a friend believes that he will gain more without the other, the union, and likely the other's life, will come to a swift end. I have had a few friends in my life, and if I lived a thousand years, I suspect this will remain true. There is little to lament in this fact, though for those who have called me friend have been persons of great character and have enriched my existence, given it worth. First there was Agnathian, my father and mentor, who showed me that I was not alone and that I was not incorrect in holding to my beliefs. Zagnathian saved me from both the blade and the chaotic, evil, fanatic religion that damns my people. Yet I was no less lost when in a handless, deep gnome came into my life. A swift neblin that I had rescued from certain death many years before at my brother Dinan's merciless blade. My deed was repaid in full, for when this swift neblin and I again met, this time in the clutches of his people, I would have been killed. Truly would have preferred death were it not for Belwood de Sengulp. My time in Blingdenstone, the city of the deep gnomes, was such a short span in the measure of my years. I remember well Belwood's city and his people, and I always shall. Theirs was the first society I came to know that was based on the strengths of community not the paranoia of selfish individualism. Together, the deep gnomes survive against the perils of the hostile underdark, labor in their endless toils of mining the stone, and play games that are hardly distinguishable from every other aspect of their rich lives. Greater indeed are pleasures that we sh are shared. Drizdorden Chapter 7. Most Honored Burwood Our thanks for your coming, Most Honored Burwarden, said one of the deep gnomes gathered outside the small room holding the drow prisoner. The entire group of swift Neblin elders bowed low at the burrow as the burrow wardens approach. Belwar doesn't gulp flinched at the gracious greeting. He had never come to terms with the many laurels his people had mantled upon him since his, that disastrous day more than a decade before, when the drow elves had discovered his mining troop in the corridors of east of Blingdenstone near Manza Baranzan. Horribly maimed and nearly dead from loss of blood, Belwar had limped back to Blingdenstone as the only survivor of the expedition. The gathered Swift Nebly parted for Belwer, giving him a clear view of the ant room and the drow. The prisoners strapped in the chair. The circular chamber seemed solid, unremarkable stone with no opening other than the heavy iron-bound door. There was, however, a single window in the chamber, covered by illusions of both light and sound, and that allowed the Swift Neblin captors to view the prisoner at all times. Belwer studied Driz for several moments. He is a drow, the borough warden huffed in his resonant voice, sounding a bit perturbed. Belwer still could not understand why he had been summoned, appearing as any other drow. The prisoner claims he met you out in Bling the Underdark, an ancient swift neblin said to Belwer.
His voice was barely a whisper, and he dropped his gaze to the floor as he completed the thought. On that day of great loss. Delworth flinched again at the mention of that day. How many times must he relive it? He may have, Felwer said with non-committal shrug. Not much I can distinguish between the appearance of drow elves, and not much do I wish to try. Agreed, said the other. They all look alike. As the deep gnome spoke, Driz turned to face to the side and faced them directly, though he could not see or hear anything beyond the illusion of stone. Perhaps you may remember his name, Burr Warden, another swift never offered. The speaker paused, seeing Belwer's sudden interest in the drow. The circular chamber was lightless, and under such conditions the eyes of a creature seeing in the infrared spectrum shone clearly. Normally these eyes appeared as dots of red light, but that was not the case with Driz Dorden. Even in the infrared spectrum, this drow's eyes showed clearly as lavender. Belwer remembered those eyes. Maga Kamara, Belwer breathed. Drizzt. He mumbled in reply to the other deep gnome. Do you know of him? Several of the surf nebulon cried together. Belwer held up the handless stumps of his arms, one capped with the mithril head of a pickaxe, the other with the head of a hammer. This drow, Drizzt. This drizzed, he stammered, trying to explain. Responsible for my condition, he was. Some of the others murmured prayers for the doomed drow, thinking the borough warden was angered by the memory. Then King Schnicktick's decision stands, one of them said. That drow is to be executed immediately. But he, this drizzed, he saved my life. Belwer interjected loudly. The others, incredulous, turned on him. Never was it Driz's decision that my hands be severed, the Borough Warden went on. It was his offering that I be allowed to return to Blindenstone. As an example, this Driz said, but I understood even then that the words were uttered only to placate his cruel kin. The truth behind those words, I know, and that truth was mercy. An hour later, a single swift Nevlin counselor, the one who had spoken to Drizzt earlier, came to the prisoner. It was the decision of the king that you be executed, the deep gnome said bluntly as he approached the stone chair. I understand, Drizzt replied as calmly as he could. I will offer no resistance to your verdict. Drizzt considered his shackles for a moment. Not that I could. The swift Nevlin stopped and considered this unpredictable prisoner, fully believing in Driz's sincerity. Before he continued meaning to expand on the events of the day, Driz completed his thought. I ask only one favor, Driz said. The Swerf Nevlin let him finish, curious of the unusual drow's reasoning. The panther, Driz went on. You will find Guenevard to be a valued companion and a dear friend indeed. When I am no more, you must see to it that the panther is given to a deserving master. Belwell Disencourt, perhaps. Promise me this, good gnome, I beg. The swift Nevlin shook his hairless head, not to deny Driz's plea, but in simple disbelief. 
The king, with such remorse, simply could not allow the risks of keeping you alive, he said somberly. The deep gnome's wide mouth turned up in a smile as quickly as he quickly added, But the situation has changed. Drews cocked his head, hardly daring to hope. The borough warden remembers you, Dark Elf, the swift Nevin proclaimed. Most honored borough warden Bellwood Disengope has spoken for you and will accept the responsibility of keeping you. Then I am not to die? Not unless you bring death upon yourself. Driz could barely utter the words. And I am to be allowed to live among your people in Blindingstone? That is yet to be determined, replied the swift Nevin. Bellwood doesn't go has spoken for you, and that is a very great thing. You will go to live with him. Whether the situation will be continued or expanded, he let it hang at that, giving an unanswering shrug. Following his release, the walk through the caverns of Blingenstone was truly an exercise in hope for the beleaguered drow. Driz saw every sight in the deep gnome city as a contrast to Menzel Baranzen. The dark elves had worked the great cavern of their city into shaped artwork, undeniably beautiful. The deep gnome city, too, was beautiful, but its features remained the natural traits of the stone. For the drow had taken their cavern as their own, cutting it into their designs and tastes, the Svirfnevli had fitted themselves into the native designs of their complex. Menzel Baranzen held a vastness, with a ceiling up beyond sight the Blingenstone could not approach. The city of the Drow was a series of individual family castles, each a closed fortress and a house unto itself. The deep gnome city was a general sense of home, as if the entire complex within the mammoth stone and metal doors was a singular structure a community shelter from the ever-present dangers of the Underdark. The angles of the Swift Neverland City, too, were very different. Like the features of the diminutive race, Blingenstone's buttresses and tiers were rounded, smooth, and gracefully curving. Conversely, Menzel Branson was an angular place, as sharp to the, as the point of a stalactite, a place of alleyways and leering terraces. Driz considered the two cities distinctive of the races they housed, sharp and soft like the features and the hearts, Driz dared to imagine, of their respective inhabitants. Tucked away in a remote corner of one of the outer chambers that sat Belwar's dressing, dwelling, a tiny structure of stone built around the opening of an even smaller cave, like most of the open faces of Nevelyn dwellings. Belwar's house had a front door, one of the Five guards escorting Driz tapped on the door with the butt of his mace. Greetings, most honored borough warden, he called. By orders of King Schnicktick, we have delivered the drow. Driz took note of the respectful tone of the guard's voice. He had feared for Belwa on that day a decade and more ago and had wondered if Dinan's cutting off the deep gnome's hands wasn't more cruel than simply killing the unfortunate creature. Cripples did not fare well in the savage underdark. The stone door swung open and Belwar greeted his guests. Immediately his gaze locked with Drizzt's in a look they had shared ten years before, when they had last parted. Drizzt saw somberness in the bro eyes, but 
the stout pride remained, if a bit diminished. Driz did not want to look upon the swift nebulous disfigurement. Too many unpleasant memories were tied up in that long-ago deed, but inevitably the drow's gaze dropped down Belwer's barrel-like torso to the ends of his arms which hung by his side. Far from his fears, Drizzt's eyes winded and widened in wonderment when he looked upon Belwer's hands. On the right side, wondrously fitted to cap the stub of his arm, was the blocked head of a hammer crafted of mithril and etched with intricate fabulous runes and carvings of an earth elemental and some other creatures that Driz did not know. Belwer's left appendage was no less spectacular. There the deep known wielded a two-headed pickaxe, also of mithril and equally crafted in runes and carvings, most notably a dragon taking flight across the flat surface of the instrument's wider end. Driz could sense the magic in Belwer's hands, and he realized that many other Swift Nebly, both artisans and magic users, had played a part in perfecting the items. Useful, Belwer remarked after allowing Driz to study his mithril hands for a few moments. Beautiful, Driz whispered in reply, and he was thinking of more than the hammer and pick. The hands themselves were indeed marvelous, but the implications of their crafting seemed even more so to Drizzt. If a dark elf, particularly a drow male, had crawled back into Menzel Branson in such a disfigured state, he would have been rejected and put out by his family to wander about as a helpless rogue until some slave or other drow finally put an end to his misery. There was no room for apparent weakness in the drow culture. Here, obviously, the swift Nebli had accepted Belwar and had cared for him in the best way they knew how. Driz politely returned his stare to the Burl Warden's eyes. You remembered me, he said. I had feared... Later, we shall talk, Driz Dorden, Belwar interrupted. Using the swift Nebulin tongue, which Driz did not know, the Burl Warden said to the guards, If your business is completed, then take your leave. We are at your command, most honored Burl Warden, one of the guards replied. Driz noticed Belwar's slight shudder at the mention of the title. The king has sent us as escorts and guards to remain by your side until the truth of this drow is revealed. Be gone, then, Belwar replied, his booming voice rising in obvious ire. He looked directly at Driz as he finished. I know the truth of this one already. I am in no danger. Your pardon, most honored. You are excused. Belwar said abruptly, seeing that the guard meant to argue. Be gone! I have spoken for this one. He is in my care, and I fear not at all. The swift Nebulin guard bowed low and slowly moved away. Belwar took Drizzt inside the door, then turned him back to slyly point out that the two of the guards had taken up cautious positions beside nearby structures. Too much they worry for my health, he remarked Dryden dryly in the drow tongue. You should be grateful for such care, Driz replied. I am not ungrateful, Belwar shot back, his angry flesh coming to his face. Driz read the truth behind those words. Belwar was not ungrateful, that much was correct. But the Burl Warden did not believe that he deserved such attention. Driz kept his suspicions private, not wanting to further embarrass the proud Swift Neblin.
The inside of Belwer's house was sparsely finished with a stone table and a single stool, several shelves of pots and jugs, and a fire pit with an iron cooking grate. Beyond the rough-hewn entrance of the back room, the room within the small cave, was the deep gnome's sleeping quarters, empty except for a hammock strung from wall to wall. Another hammock, newly acquired for Driz, lay in a heap on the floor, and a leather mithril-ringed jack hung on the back wall, with a pile of sacks and pouches underneath it. In the entry room we shall string it, Belwer said, pointing with his hammer hand to the second hammock. Driz moved to get the item, but Belwer caught him with his pick hand and spun him around. Later, Miss Furfnevlin explained, first you must tell me why you have come. He studied Driz's battered clothing and scuffed the dirty face. It was obvious that the drow had been out in the wilds for some time. And tell me, too, you must, where you have come from. Driz flopped down on the stone floor and put his back against the wall. I came because I had nowhere else to go, he answered honestly. How long have you been out of your city, Driz Dorden? Belwar asked him softly, even in quieter tones. The solid, deep gnome's voice rang out with the clarity of a finely tuned bell. Driz marveled at its emotive range and how it could convey sincere compassion or inspire fear with subtle changes of volume. Driz shugged and let his head roll back so that his gaze was raised to the ceiling. His mind already looked down a road to his years past. Years, I have lost count on the time. He looked back to Miss Firth Nevlin. Time has little meaning in the open passages of the Underdark. From Driz's ragged appearance, Belwar could not doubt the truth of his words, but the deep gnome was surprised nonetheless. He moved over to the table at the center of the room and took a seat on a stool. Belwar had witnessed Driz in battle and had once seen the drow defeat an earth elemental. No easy feat. But if Drizzt was indeed speaking the truth, if he had survived alone out in the wilds of the Underdark for years, then the Burl Warden's respect for him would be even more considerable. Of your adventures, you must tell me, Drizzdorden, Belwer prompted. I wish to know everything about you so that I may better understand your purpose in coming to a city of your racial enemies. Driz paused for a long time, wondering where and how to begin. He trusted Belwer. That, what other choice did he have? But he wasn't sure if the Swift Nevelin could begin to understand the dilemma that he had forced him out of the security of Menzel Branson. Belwer could, living in a community of such obvious friendship and cooperation, understand the tragedy that was Menzel Branson? Driz doubted it. But again, what choice did he have? Driz quietly recounted to Belwer the story of the last decade of his life, of the impending war between House Dorden and House Honet, of his meeting with Massage and Ulton when he acquired Guenevar, of the sacrifice of Zachnafian, Driz's mentor, father, and friend, and of his subsequent decision to forsake his kin and their evil deity, Loth. Belwer realized that Driz was talking about the dark goddess the deep gnomes called Loth. But he calmly let the regionalism pass. 
If Belwer had any suspicions at all, not really knowing Drizzt's true intent on what the on that day when they had met many years before, the Burl Warden soon came to believe that his guesses about his this drow had been accurate. Belwer found himself shuddering and trembling as Drizzt told of the life in the Underdark, of his encounter with the Basilisk and the battle with his brother and sister. Before Drizzt even mentioned the re his reasons for seeking the Swift Nebly, the agony of his loneliness and the fear that he was losing his very identity and the savagery necessary to survive in the wilds, Belwar had guessed it all. When Drizzt came to the final days of his life outside of Blindenstone, he picked his words carefully. Drizzt had not yet come to terms with his feelings and, and fears of who he truly was, and he was not yet ready to divulge his thoughts, however much he trusted his new companion. The Burl Warden sat silently, just looking at Drizzt when the drow had finished his tale. Belwar understood the pain of the recounting. He did not prod for more information or ask for details of personal anguish that Drizzt had not openly shared. Magakamara, the deep gnome whispered soberly. Drizzt cocked his head. By the stones, Belwar explained. Maga Kamara. By the stones, indeed, Drizzt agreed. A long and uncomfortable silence ensued. A fine tale it is, Belwar said quietly. He patted Drizzt once on the shoulder, then walked into the cave room to retrieve the spare hammock. Before Drizzt even rose to assist, Belwar had set the hammock in place between hooks on the walls. Sleep in peace, Drizzt Orden. Belwar said as he turned to retire. No enemies you have here. No monsters lurk beyond the stone at my door. Then Belwar was gone into the other room and Drizzt was left alone in the undecipherable swirl of his thoughts and emotions. He remained uncomfortable, but surely this was hope renewed. And that is where we shall stop for the day I will continue later this week I believe if not tomorrow but I will start with episode 4 and read another 2 or 3 chapters I hope you all enjoyed this and please forgive my couple weeks hiatus not voluntary mind you I had some technical difficulties when I had explained in the description of this episode but i hope you enjoy it again i wish to thank all of you for listening it does make me feel fantastic and honored to have so many of you listening in and enjoying my reading of r.a salvatore's the legend of drizzt book two exile until next time my friends by the stones. <laughs>